You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us again today is Scott Layseth, the Ducks Unlimited Magazine cooking columnist. Scott, welcome back to the show. Always good to be back. It is great to have Scott on to talk about recipes and to talk about you know, even processing game, you know, we've had several different uh, shows with Scott where he talks about a very specific recipe or a group of recipes or a feature um, that he did. But one thing that we get feedback from our audience all the time, and that goes magazine, web and podcast is people are constantly asking about gear, which is a good thing. You know, as a senior editor of the magazine, I deal with the gear stuff Um, and I love it. I'm a gear junkie. But one conversation that we haven't really gotten into in depth is gear, cooking gear basically must have cooking items for waterfowl hunters. What are duck hunters and goose hunters using in the kitchen? Or at least what should they be using in the kitchen, Scott? And I'll let you kind of start this off because I know that you have probably multiple complete kitchens, um, indoor, outdoor, different <laughs> states. Um, I know that you probably have that and have the ability to get any gear you want in there. But what are you telling people to, when they start off? Like, hey, here's what you need to have in your kitchen. You know, if you look at knives and what a knife costs, I mean, there's the number one instrument that you need in the kitchen is a good knife. Um, I grew up with uh, my mom and dad who threw their knives in a knife drawer. And by the way, you shouldn't keep your knives in a knife drawer, which I have a knife drawer that's full of knives, but you'll notice that in that knife drawer, the tips of your knives have gotten a little bit dull. And that's when you want to put a good sharpener to it and bring that back. Uh, it should go into a into either on the, the magnet on the wall or into the knife block where the points of your knife aren't being jammed into a drawer. You don't need to spend a whole lot of money. I suggest going to a restaurant supply place, getting one of those basic plastic white handled knives. The problem is they're thin bladed. They don't really hold an edge really well, but you're going to learn to use a knife um, and learn how to chop a knife, how to chop with a knife. Go to YouTube. It'll show you knife skills. It'll save you a whole lot of time. And as you've heard many, many times, you're much more likely to cut yourself with a dull knife than with a sharp knife because with a dull knife, it gets kind of hung up. You give it a little bit more oomph and that's when it goes into your finger. Uh, Keep your knives sharp. You know, a knife sharpener or a good steel, um, you know, uh, I use a work sharp sharpener. Uh, They're a sponsor of my shows. I've been with them for years. They've got sharpeners that you can put in your pack um, that electric sharpeners, it'll sharpen any knife. Um, people are, people have said that electric sharpeners will ruin your knives. They won't if you use them properly, whatever it is, keep 
your knife edge sharp, it's going to save you a whole lot of time in the kitchen. So you've got a, a, a good chef's knife. And I like an eight inch chef knife. Some people like the gigantic ones. I'm working, as you mentioned, different kitchens all the time, traveling, uh, tighter spaces. I think the smaller blade works a little bit better for me. Um, and, you know, a, a set of tongs shouldn't shouldn't be all that controversial, but <laughs> I, I don't like the spring low. I mean, the, the tongs that have the little lock in them, first thing I do is pull those off. Hmm. Um, again, I'll go to a restaurant supply place and buy tongs there, um, that aren't real fancy. I, on my little, where I keep my kitchen tools in my kitchen, it's like a big flower vase. And I have about six pairs of tongs at a time because I find that I'm constantly, um, grabbing for another set of tongs and I'm a short tong person, which explains why I don't have much hair on the right on my hand or the or the uh, part of my arms because I'm always reaching into the fire with the short tongs. They actually have some pretty cool tongs out there that, that have lights on them. They do all sorts of things. You know, uh, another thing, a good spatula. Um, and I'm not talking about the little plastic pancake flipper that you had that it was that your parents used when you were a kid. I'm talking about a, a, a commercial style metal spatula with a hard plastic handle or wooden handle um, that is about, say, six to eight inches long, it's a lot easier to grab stuff than one of those little flimsy plastic deals. Absolutely. Now, let me let me question. Let me ask one question. Um, I have a buddy who's who's a pretty good cook and, and cooks all the time, and uh, he is constantly criticizing me about having. I have the I. I have the shorter tongs as well, but my wife, for some reason, had bought the tongs that have the little plastic tips on them. And he's constantly, like, taking them away from me and, like, here, here's a actual tongs that are fully metal. Is, do you recommend people stick with the all-metal tongs? Absolutely. That's I mean, mine have got a little vinyl on the part where your hand is, mm -hmm. but um, but they're, they're the ones that you would see in a restaurant. Um, they last a lot longer. There's nothing to break on them. There's not a whole lot to them. They don't have any moving parts. They're just tongs. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they some of the tongs that have the little Teflon tip on them, um, I think you'll find that it's very hard to pick up something with a Teflon tipped tong. Mm -hmm. So I avoid those too. Okay. No, that's perfect. And and I'd, I don't want to, you know, make you go back here, but, you know, you mentioned you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to have a, a ton of knives. Um, but, you know, if you're rotating out two or three different knives, um, you know, you would have, you mentioned you prefer like an eight inch chef's knife. Um, and then, you know, in, in this, this piece that you had done for, uh, ducks.org, you kind of mentioned that maybe a pairing knife or a slicing or a fillet knife would also be a good idea. Um, why would you choose those three knives, you know, just as for an everyday kitchen? Well, for, you know, for a, a fillet knife or a thinner bladed knife, you need that when you start, you know, the, the, the bigger knives are great for chopping, you know, breaking down animals. And I mean, and I have different big knives that I use, whether I'm breaking down an animal or chopping vegetables, mm -hmm. because if you use the same knife to cut through bone that you use to chop vegetables, you're going to be sharpening it all the time. So the one that I use to do the heavy work is a, is a heavier, thicker bladed that holds a better edge. The thinner that edge is, 
um, the less that edge is going to be maintained. It's going to stay sharp. So the ones that I use for that, you know, for hacking stuff up, like a cleaver is going to be a thicker um, blade that will hold a better edge when you're chopping through bone. Um, the paring knife you know, just for the finer work, when you're trying to get the, get the tenderloin out off the rib cage, um, any of the smaller type chopping things that you need to do, you know, a fillet knife, a paring knife, and a chef's knife will get you anywhere you need to go. Perfect. Now, that's that's great. And, and just, you know, as a reference, I just want to let everyone know, um, our listeners can go to ducks.org and, and check out this complete list once once we get done with this. But there's also little videos on here um, that, Scott, you did a couple years ago um, that explained, you know, chopping, dicing. Um, and it really gets gives people an introduction into how to actually – and I know it sounds funny, and, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, how to actually chop or dice and what that means. Um, and, and so kind of explain what that means for people, um, you know, what it means to chop something, what it means to dice something, what it means to Julianne, you know, there's, there's, it's a pretty simple process, but most people don't know. And it's just a matter of size, but it can be confusing when you're looking at a recipe and it says diced, small dice, fine dice, mince. Um, and that probably the best way to illustrate that would be to look at that, the video on the ducks.org a website that goes along with this column and it shows you specifically how big a dice is, um, how big, a, you know, or a Julian, when it says Julian, people are going, I don't know, what's a Julian? It's <laughs> just a little matchstick, thin slice of whatever it is you're cutting. Um, but how you use the knife, and again, go to YouTube, it'll show you how to cut an onion, it'll save you all sorts of time with whatever else you've been doing. Um, but it, it really helps to know when somebody says dice, fine dice, mince, what exactly that means. Um, and I could say, well, it's a half an inch and then, but that doesn't mean anything. You need to go look at the video, the visual, um, and it makes a whole lot more sense. Absolutely. And, and a lot of these videos too, you know, as you're learning how to do that, um, it can also help you keep from cutting yourself. There's, there's certain ways to hold onions <laughs> and hold, and I've learned those after cutting myself several times, I've learned some of the better ways to do that, to avoid. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I still cut myself, but it's, it's entirely my fault. That's that, that, that comes with the territory. I would assume if you're, you know, a yes. full-time, you know, professional cooking and in kitchens all the time and, and creating so much content that you do, I'd imagine, you know, you play with enough fire, you're going to get burned. <laughs> I guess that's a yeah, good way to put and, it. And I, I probably, speaking of burn, I probably burn myself a lot more than I cut myself. Um, I'm always grabbing hot stuff because I'm just not paying attention. Well, you know, maybe we'll have to add one of those hot hands to this list of things that you must have. <laughs> um, it should probably uh -huh. be in there anyway. Uh, but the next one on the list that you had here was a tenderizer. And this is an important one for waterfowl hunters, and in my opinion. Um, I think it's really important to be able to tenderize some of those the meat. And, and, and I say waterfowl hunters, but any... Um, wild game or any just any chef in general, but explain what your incentive was for kind of adding the tenderizer on this list. Not all all ducks are tender. Um, you know, you get you get an old Canada goose, and um, it the the breasts on those old Canada geese are not tender. Um, so you got a couple of choices. You can either you know cut it into smaller pieces and pound it with a mallet that will tenderize it. That breaks the connective tissue down, makes it more tender. But there are some uh, kind of spring-loaded uh, uh, tenderizing devices that are out there. Victor makes one. Um, I can't think of the other one, but I'll think of it in a minute. It's probably the more popular one. But 
What you want to avoid, I think, are the, the tenderizers that have little points in them. The ones that I like have got flat kind of stainless steel blades on them. And what it does, it cuts through the connective tissue of the, of the meat, whether it's duck or a deer or whatever, but it doesn't make it look like cube steak. It doesn't change the, what it looks like, but it's going to make it a lot more tender. It also helps when you're marinating because you've put holes in the meat and there's people that for years have said, don't poke holes in the meat. It lets all the juice out. That's not true. Um, I mean, that's there by poking a hole in the meat. It doesn't drain all the juice out of a piece of meat. That's just absurd, but we've been told that for years. So go ahead, poke some holes in it. The marinade's going to be better. If you use one of the, oh, Jacquard, J-A-C-C-A-R-D is the other one that I should have thought of. Um, they're about 20 bucks. Don't spend more than 20 bucks. It's a hand-operated deal. You poke through it and it's going to cut through the connective tissue and make your duck breast more tender. Awesome. That's a win-win for everybody. Um, you know, the next one on the list is a thermometer. And this is super important because one of the things that you've stressed now for, I would, I'll say decades, uh, <laughs> is not, not to date you there, Scott, sorry about that, oh, but, no, no. um, it no, is, I, it is decades. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and something that I, you know, hold near and dear to my, you know, heart when I'm trying to cook any waterfowl is don't overcook it. Um, and so I can only imagine that's why you added the thermometer onto this. But what are your recommendations for people looking for a thermometer? Well, you can buy a $5 thermometer at the grocery store and they work usually work fine. Um, they've got some pretty cool thermometers out there right now. And, and there are even thermometers, if you've got your, your ducts on the grill that are wireless, that you have this little unit, you can, it'll either go through your phone or it has a separate little reader on it. But for people that have traditionally overcooked their, their waterfowl, um, and as, as, as you agree, there's just nothing worse to me than an overcooked piece of duck. And I know that there's people out there that go, well, I like my duck cooked. That's entirely your choice. My choice is to cook my duck breasts on the medium rare side. I like them about 130 to 135 degree internal temperature. And I know by cooking it for as long as you mentioned that I've been doing this, um, I know what medium rare feels like. The guy that's on, that's working at the steakhouse is not cutting holes into the steak to see if it's medium rare or not. He knows by touching it with either his fingers or his tongs what medium rare feels like. But you got to get to that point. So by using a thermometer, um, it's going to give you a better idea of how that duck is cooked on the inside. And I always tell people to err on the undercooked side because you can always throw it back on the grill and cook it for another minute or two. If, if when you take that duck off the grill, just let it rest for a few minutes. Where we lose a lot of people, I think, where people want to overcook is because they haven't let the meat rest when it comes off the heat. And by letting it rest, what it does is it, it, it allows the, the meat to relax and it redistributes the juices within that piece of meat because as it cooks, all the juice goes to the coldest part of the meat. It's going to go to the very center. So you take a duck or a goose breast off the grill, slice into it, all that juice runs out. And that's where we lose people because they go, oh, my God, it looks like blood. And again, it's not blood, but that's where people freak out. Mm -hmm. So let it rest for a few minutes. But the thermometer itself to me, it's vitally important, especially if you're cooking larger critters. Um, 
if you've got a big deer roast, it's kind of hard to tell what the inside of that deer is cooked like until you have a meat thermometer that you can put into the center. Absolutely. And I, you know, I just recently invested in a, uh, one of those high end, it's pretty fancy digital ones. Um, and, and the main reason for that is, is I was doing, I was trying to do prime rib and, uh, basically trying to compete with one of my buddies on a prime rib recipe. And he had one of those and got his temperature perfect. I did not and botched up one that uh, I immediately went and just ordered one, you know, one of the high-end fancy <laughs> ones that, um, and now I use it for everything, you know, every, everything, especially ducks. And, and it really opens my eyes to see, I felt like I knew what medium rare, you know, 100, you know, really good temperature was until you put that on a digital thermometer and you're like, oh, you know, I might've been overcooking these a little bit. And then letting, the, getting them out early enough to then let them rest I think is one of the most important things. And you touched on that for sure. It's going to make you a better cook if you get that thermometer and start to realize just what those specific temperatures are. And as you're doing that, make sure that you play around with it. Poke down on that piece of meat, see if it springs back at you while it's coming up to temperature. And, and you'll be able to, in time, you'll be able to figure out, you'll be able to get a lot closer by feel and you'll be using the thermometer less. But for now, use it. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. As much as you can. The next one on the list here is cookware, and you have several things listed here, but, and I'll let you go ahead and, and explain the different cookwares that you use, but, um, you know, you've, and I'll just mention, you know, you've had so many different recipes in the magazine, and it, our listeners can find them all online, where you have everything from walks to outdoor grills to, you know, all these different, you know, sous vide, you know, all these different things that you've used, but you're tried and true, kind of explain this, this basic, you know, the, the first steps of cookware? You know, I, in general, I'm a cast iron guy. It's just hard to travel with cast iron. But um, what I don't recommend people do, and and I, I do have to confess that I am a utensil abuser. I mean, I, I don't want a $120 skillet that I've got a baby and maintain. I want something that I can beat the snot out of and always bring it back to life. And that's what's good about cast iron is no matter how much you abuse it, you can always bring it back to life, whether it's with a, a wire brush wheel and then reconditioning. Um, I like it. I like it. You can cook anything in an oven, that you, anything in a Dutch oven that you can do in an oven. So um, another, another option, if you don't want to go with cast iron, Go to a restaurant supply place and get aluminum pans. If you look into a commercial kitchen, all these pans hanging up, they don't have all clad pans hanging up because, first of all, they're cost prohibitive. They require a lot of maintenance. They've got aluminum pans um, and and they're bent up and they're burnt up and they work just fine. And they're cheap enough where if you abuse them like I do, at some point you can just go get another one. Um, but I, 
again, I just don't, I don't think unless you like to baby your food and you're, and you're only cooking every now and then I wouldn't spend a whole lot of money on expensive cookware. Cast iron is moderately priced, easy to bring back to life, or just go get some aluminum skillets at the restaurant supply place. They all work great. Oh, that's perfect. That's a great tip. And I think you approach your uh, cooking utensils the same way that I approach my decoys. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty rough on them and, and, you know, if a duck flies into the decoys, the decoys will get shot. And I know there are a lot of people right. out there that don't that don't follow those rules. And I I am one of those people who I do not hesitate. Probably the same way that you don't hesitate to kind of beat up your cooking equipment and either fix it or replace it. And and I'm the same way with my decoys too. I don't I I buy them on sale or used and whatever because I know they're going to get hurt eventually. Eventually. Yes. Uh, next one on the list. And this is a big one. And this is uh, also, I'm a big fan of this um, for every hunter to have the vacuum sealer. Go ahead and explain, you know, the benefits of having a vacuum sealer on hand, especially for, for a hunter or a fisherman. Well, it's going to last a whole lot longer than, you know, you know what I, I grew up by putting whole ducks into milk cartons, filling them up with water and soon ran out of room in the freezer. Um, the water is going to keep the freezer burn off. The freezer burn is not going to be there, but you're also going to take up a lot of room. What I do is I part my ducks out before I vacuum seal them. So I've got legs, uh, the bodies I'm not going to vacuum seal because I'm going to make stock out of those. But they last so much longer. They're so much easier to keep organized. And you want to make sure that when you vacuum seal them, that you always label and date it. We've heard that a million times. I'm going to repeat it. One of the challenges when you're vacuum sealing wet duck and goose parts is, you know, everybody, they'll they'll put the little paper towel, fold the paper towel up by the opening. And you're just hoping that you're going to get the seal, that it's going to seal before all the juice runs into the chamber and compromises the seal. And what I tell people before you vacuum seal those, say, duck breasts, for instance, freeze them first, put them onto a sheet pan and then get them frozen. Once they're frozen, you pop them into the vacuum seal bag and you get a super, super tight seal. You don't have to worry about all that juice running out and it doesn't compete with it. It makes the vacuum seal work that much better. That's a very good tip. And I'm I'm in the process right now of uh, addressing an error in my ways of not labeling my vacuum sealed uh, bags properly. Um, I'm going through a few right now and I'm like, I know that that was a speckle belly that I put, but I can't quite remember. So I'm going to be doing some, uh, some, some testing test cooking, I guess I should say, because I may have a, a speckle belly goose or pieces and parts, or it may be a Canada goose or, and I'm like, got to figure that out. So yeah, that's a good tip. Vacuum sealing vacuum sealing when they're dry and also labeling the bags. That's, that is certainly something for everyone to remember. Um, next one on the list is kitchen shears. And this is one thing that it took me a decade of being a waterfowl hunter before I realized this is a must have. When you're breaking down the ducks and, or the geese, it's really handy to have a good pair of kitchen shears. And there are different grades of kitchen shears. I mind, I've got some that aren't worth anything. And then there's others that, that are my go-to when you're, when you're cutting wings off, when you're cutting legs off, and it's going to save you some of the edge on your knife. If you're using these kitchen shears to cut through some of the bone and some of the joints, 
It's a great way to process animals. I mean, I'll use kitchen shears. You know, if you've ever I did, I used them last night. I made lettuce cups and I use them to trim up the lettuce cups for the lettuce wrap so that they don't look so fragile. They look like they do in the restaurant. But really what I use them more for is processing animals and saving some of the edge on my on my good knives. Yeah, that's great. And it, like I said, it took me a while to learn how valuable uh, kitchen shears are. And now I use them, like you said, regularly on all kinds of things in the kitchen. Um, you know, the next one on the list is a pretty fancy one. And this is something that I'll be honest, I don't have this uh, in my kitchen. And, and now talking about it and looking at it right now, I, th I think I'm going to have to add it this week. A blowtorch. Explain what the importance of a blowtorch is. Well, a couple different things. I mean, I really like them, you know, when we're when we're cleaning our ducks and if we're not peeling them, if we're plucking them, you're always going to have a couple of little pin feathers and things left on there. What the torch does is it's going to burn those off. Then you can just kind of give them a rub or put them under the faucet and it gets rid of all those little pin feathers. If you want to get some more brown on it, and I, I use it a lot, obviously, for photos because I want it to look like it's been grilled even where it's not quite grilled enough, it helps fill that in. Um, if you're if you've got a bunch of bell peppers, you want to put a, some color on it. Put the torch to it, and it can just be just the basic one pound green gas with a with a little torch top on it. If you go to a restaurant supply place, they've got a screw on uh, torch that'll fit onto a butane cartridge, same kind of cartridge that they have on the little portable stoves. Um, I prefer those. Um, but really, what I use them most for is to char some vegetables um, and to get those pen feathers off when I'm uh, working, when I'm trying to finish off my plucked ducks and geese. Awesome. No, that uh, sounds like it's uh, a very handy tool. And I, I've even, you know, tried to use lighters on the pen feathers on occasion. And now, you know, <laughs> that doesn't, ends up in a burnt finger and nothing really accomplished. Uh, so yeah, I will add blowtorch. That's going to be something that I'll definitely add to my kitchen. Um, the last one on the list here is uh, probably one of the most important things for any wild game chef or any chef in general to have, and it's a cutting board. Um, kind of walk us through how you make the selection on choosing a cutting board. The one that I'm not going to use ever, and, and I, I still run into them from time to time, is a glass cutting board. Never quite understood the concept of why you should have a cutting board that has a very hard surface on it. Um, I like a polypropylene board or a wood board. Um, you want to make sure that you keep it sanitized. Tablespoon of bleach into a gallon of water. And I think, you know, during the recent events, we've all spent a lot more time sanitizing things. At least about a year ago, I know everything was being sanitized. That applies to the cutting board too, because you got they're they're the ones that are more porous that have the little, you know, little cuts in them from using them, you got to sanitize them because that's going to hold bacteria. But I like the hard plastic ones, the polypropylene, the wood ones are fine, but just make sure you keep them clean. Um, and again, if you have a glass cutting board, I suggest you take it out and throw it in the garbage now. Throw the glass cutting boards away. That's the takeaway from uh, from this. <laughs> I, I do use uh, polypropylene boards quite a bit. I also have some wooden ones and and some of those, you know, and, and I'm just curious, you know, do you stick primarily with the polypropylene or do you have some, because I know that some of the wooden ones are a little more fancy and they look a little better, um, but when you're really getting work done, are you, you're sticking with more along the plastic lines, correct? Well, 
I, I am, especially if you're if you're swapping out a lot and you're going from, you know, whether it's, you know, cross-contamination where you don't want to, if you just cut meat, you don't want to cut vegetables on the same cutting board. It's easier just to have some more on deck. Um, on the TV show, I have a large bamboo cutting board. It's a Camp Chef product that I use most often. And on the cutting boards that have the little grooves in it to catch the juice and all that, I normally flip them over because I found that it's it's a lot easier to keep your cutting board wiped down than to clean out all the little grooves while other juice in it afterwards. That's just personal preference. But yeah, I have and and I'm I don't pay so much attention to the color, you know, the green for vegetables, red for meat type of thing, because I'm swapping them out and sanitizing them all the time. Yeah, that's that's great. And that's like you said, what is it? A one tablespoon of bleach for a gallon of water and, you know, take care of those things. It really, you know, sanitizes pretty quickly. Well, in, in any commercial kitchen, they're going to have a bleach bucket handy with a rag in it. And it's going to be that same gallon of water to a tablespoon of bleach. And they're constantly wiping down surfaces. They were, they were they've been doing that long before there was a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Scott, this has been great. You know, this has been an awesome list for, uh, you know, our listeners to really get an idea of the top 10 must-have items for every duck owner's kitchen. Um, and and do you have anything else to add? Maybe there's one other thing that we forgot. We could add one to it. Um, any other items that really jump out to you that you think people should look for? Well, and I, I, the thought just came to my mind. One of the things that I share with people all the time, and it has nothing, it's, it's more about fish is pen bone tweezers. So I know that there's a lot of us that hunt that also fish. And if you've ever tried to take a pair of pliers and pull those pin bones out of a salmon, for instance, go to Amazon and for five bucks, you get pen bone tweezers. Um, that it, They're very, very simple, but they've got some teeth on them. They got a sharp edge that'll grab those pen bones and pull them straight out instead of getting your needle nose pliers all gummed up. Um, it's not going to help you with your ducks at all, but uh, it's one of those things that I give to people all the time. I say, you eat a lot of salmon, you eat a lot of fish, take these $5 pin bone tweezers and they never look back. That's awesome. No, that's a good addition. Like you said, a lot of our listeners are also probably out fishing during the summer and, and spending their, their fall and winter duck hunting. So I'm sure that the pin bone tweezers will come in handy. Uh, Scott, this has been great and I uh, really appreciate it. We'll have to have you come on before I let you go. Tell everyone where they can find uh, your podcast and your TV shows. Uh, best place to go is to sportingchef.com. Uh, lots of recipes there. You can get onto the podcast from there. I've got the Dead Meat Show on Sportsman and Outdoor Channel. Sporting Chef is on Sportsman Channel. And the Fishmonger Show is on Sportsman and Outdoor Channel also. Awesome. That's great. And also, you mentioned that you are going to be at the Ducks Expo at the Texas Motor Speedway, June 25th through the 27th. Um, kind of let our listeners know what you're going to be doing there. I'll be in the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel booth handing out some kind of food. I haven't haven't quite got to that yet, but um, I'm kind of leaning towards duck sausage. Uh, come by and eat something with me and bring me a cold beer because it's probably going to be hot. It is going to be hot. Scott, thanks a lot and uh, look forward to seeing you at the expo. It'll be great. Very good. See you there. I'd like to thank my guest, Scott Layseth, Ducks Unlimited Magazine cooking columnist for joining us today and walking us through the top 10 must-have items for every duck hunter's kitchen. I'd like to thank Clay Baird, our producer, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.